Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Culturally Competent Direct Care, meeting the LCSS needs of diverse, duly eligible beneficiaries. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on July 25, 2019. In this podcast, Maria Elena del Valle, an organizational change consultant at PHI, provides an overview of training direct care workers who provide long-term services and supports in cultural competence. Let's begin by looking at the diversity of the population using long-term services and support. Today, more than 15 million Americans rely on long-term services and support. The need for long-term services and support is particularly important to the dual eligible population with nearly half of the 12 million beneficiaries relying on long-term services and support. Working age adults, those between ages 18 and 64 with personal assistance needs currently outnumber older adults aged 65 and above at 7.7 million versus 7.2 million people. However, the balance will shift as the population grows older in the coming decades. About 60% of long-term services and support users are women. Due to the longer life expectancy for women, this gap can be expected to widen as the older population adds more women than men over the decades ahead. The need for long-term services and support varies among racial and ethnic groups. So like for example, among the older adult population needing long-term services and support, 78% are white, 9% are black, and 8% are Latino. 6% are of another race, including Asian Pacific Islanders. The diversity of long-term services and support population is expected to grow. Only a small subset, approximately 677,000 of the 15 million living at home with long-term services and support needs reside in rural areas. Next slide, please. Let's continue to now look at the direct care workforce. There are about 4.4 million workers, including over 2 million home care workers, 600,000 nursing assistants employed in nursing homes, and 1.6 million workers employed in other settings, including residential care facilities, assisted living facilities, continuing care retirement communities, and hospitals. The direct care workforce is projected to grow by 30% from 4.4 million to 5.8 million within the decade. Next slide, please. Let's look at some key figures about this workforce. 87% women, the medium age is 41. 50% are people of color. And 25% are immigrants. Next slide, please. 
Let's take a closer look at two words that we will be hearing throughout the webinar presentation and that have been already stated, culture, cultural competence. But let's look at what is the definition. Let's look a little bit more closely at what is the definition of cultural competence in healthcare. Cultural competence in healthcare is the ability to provide high-quality person-centered care for and with those who may be different from you. So as the growing diversity within the population using long-term services and support grow, as well as that direct care workforce grows, it increases the opportunities for cross-cultural interactions in these settings. And these interactions often involve a variety of factors, including race and ethnicity, language, religion, gender, and sexual orientation. So as these cross-cultural interactions increase, how do we do this? How do we strengthen these interactions and communication? I want to offer you these thoughts. Awareness and respect for clients' uniqueness, beliefs, and preferences is an important tool in delivering person-centered care and navigating the territory of cultural competency. So when we think of awareness, we look at what is the personal inner dialogue that we're having when we meet someone that's different from us? What are those assumptions and biases? This is very key to improving your interpersonal skills. Once you become aware of these inner dialogues and you get stronger at communicating with other people, this self-knowledge will support you to develop more and have more respectful communication. Without this self-knowledge, it can be harder. This applies across the board. Next slide, please. In order to provide cultural competent care, direct care workers need to be able to meet individual needs and preferences related to these concerns, such as communication, verbal and nonverbal. For example, in some cultures, looking at someone in their eyes is a sign of respect, and in other cultures, it could be considered disrespectful. Let's look at food. One might think, what could get complicated in serving cereal for breakfast? Well, in some cultures, people eat cereal with cold milk, and in other cultures, people only eat cereal with hot milk. Imagine if you're used to having a bowl of cereal with hot milk and someone serves you a bowl of cereal with cold milk. This can create a very distasteful breakfast experience. Some Caribbean cultures consider serving cold food insulting. One might ask, why would it be insulting? Why is that insulting? 
Well, because warm food symbolizes intentionality and care that goes into preparing food. Physical touch. Some Orthodox Jews are not allowed to shake hands with any women except their wives. There is no formula for how to work with a client from any given culture because every person is unique and that person's relationship to the culture is unique. Next slide, please. I want to share with you a little bit about PHI's vision, mission, and commitment. PHI is a not-for-profit organization based in Bronx, New York. For the past 25 years, PHI has been working closely with direct care workers and their clients in cities, suburbs, and small towns across America. PHI offers tools necessary to create quality jobs and quality care. Let's look at the trainings. PHI offers specialty training to direct care workers on topics such as Alzheimer's and dementia, congestive heart failure, diabetes, enhance, observe, record, and report. PHI's trainers and researchers and policy experts work together to learn what works and what doesn't work in meeting the needs of the direct care workers and their clients in a variety of long-term settings and support policymakers and advocates in crafting evidence-based policies to advance quality care. Advocacy. PHI has led advocacy efforts to extend wage and overtime protections to home care workers nationwide and to create an advanced home health aid role in New York. In our curriculum design, we have a core curriculum for entry-level personal care aids and home health aids. We also create curricula that support the advanced roles in long-term care and promote continuous learning and curricula on leadership development and team building. Next slide, please. I like to highlight two training programs that PHI designed for individuals and organizations to use. The first is a specialty training associated with the Home Care Aid Workforce Initiative, HOWI. This training consists of four modules. We begin by exploring our relationship to culture. We ask the participants to share examples through personal stories about cultural components from their own culture. Then we looked at respecting an individual's unique perspective. And these include the following topics. Identify differences from someone in the same culture. Explain how generalizations about a culture do not always apply to individuals from that culture. And we explain how we will share some common needs, which are similarities, but how we want these, need, these needs met can be different, which is our uniqueness. 
Some key skills to demonstrate respect for differences include communication, looking at sender and receiver. Nonverbal communication, which is so important to be aware of your own body language. We all know that often our body language gets arise before our words. People can hear our body language before they hear our words. Be aware of your client's body language. What is that client's expression saying when I'm looking at them? We explain and then we, we go to the module on applying our learning, which is a lot of practice and application on how to use communication skills, how to pay attention to nonverbal cues, practicing paraphrasing, asking open-ended questions, and pulling back to build trust with a client who is different from them. We look at and explain how to show respect, gain understanding, resolve misunderstandings, and more effectively, how do we manage these challenging and confusing situations that involve a client who is different from us? We also provide additional tips about nonverbal communication in different culture. These four modules are particularly important for direct care workers to meet the diverse needs and preferences of their clients. Next slide, please. The second training program, which is generally known as PHI's signature program, is Coach Approach to Communication. Here are some core skills that are covered in this curriculum. Active listening. This requires listening from the speaker's perspective. We also look at the verbal and nonverbal. So, for example, a direct care worker from a Caribbean island was participating in a training, and she said that she entered a client's home with dementia and says, good night. The client goes to bed, and the direct care worker wonders why her client always goes to sleep when she arrives. Well, when she shared this example in the class, the other direct care workers asked her, why do you say good night when it's only 6 p.m.? And she says, in my country, when the sun goes down, we say good night. Listening from the speaker's perspective, as I mentioned, is very important. And one, one of the tips that we offer often in the class is, how do you know when you stop listening to someone? Well, when you are talking with someone and someone is speaking with you and you start to have a conversation with yourself about what the person is saying to you, you have stopped listening. Another skill is paraphrase. Paraphrasing for fact and paraphrasing for feeling. When you do this, it affirms to the speaker that you are listening. It demonstrates interest. And it helps often to identify a client's need, concern, or issue. An example, a client says to a director worker, I'm not feeling like myself today. This time of year reminds me of, of the smell of crayons, pencils, and notebooks. 
During the session, we asked the participants, if you paraphrase the fact, what would that sound like? If you're paraphrasing for feeling, let's hear what that sounds like. And the important thing is if you don't paraphrase and you don't catch important information, like the smell of crayons, pencils, and notebooks, you may have missed an opportunity to engage in a conversation and learn more information about the client that you're serving, and you may have missed a very important, meaningful connection. Because if you paraphrase and you say, Mrs. Gonzalez, you're, not, you're saying that you're not sounding like yourself today, and you're also saying that this time of year reminds you of crayons, pencils, and notebooks. Mrs. Gonzalez might respond, yes, it reminds me of when I was a school teacher. I miss teaching children, which will lead to conversations, more for future conversations. Let's look at pullback. This is what I call pause for the cause. Often in interactions, even with people we know, we say or someone does something or we may do something that will trigger someone. And the challenge here is to gain emotional control, right? Because when we get triggered, we know we cannot control other people. We could only control ourselves. So when you gain emotional control, you're able to put your attention back on a client. A client is going to a salsa dancing activity and a direct care worker put sneakers on him. He got upset and he yelled, what are you doing? I need my brown special dancing shoes. Well, the direct care worker could be triggered by the gentleman yelling at her, saying, what are you doing? And she would have to pause for the cause and say, I'm here to serve the client. What is it about these special shoes? What is it about the brown shoes? So she will put the focus back on the client, and it will lead to maybe paraphrasing. Or another skill that I'm going to now talk about a little bit is asking an open question. What is so why do you need these brown shoes for salsa? And that will most likely lead into a conversation about what is so critical about these shoes when you're going to participate in the salsa activity. Effective questions are always important. Some are closed because we need to get facts. And the open questions open conversations. They also cultivate effective working relationships. Next slide, please. I'd like to invite everyone to participate in this activity. There will be an, uh, an opinion poll. We're going, to do, we're going to do a poll question. I would like to read a scenario and ask you to select the response that makes the most sense or that describes what you think is happening. Scenario one, a client says who, to her direct care worker, Carmen, when you're at the drugstore, can you buy hair conditioner for me? Carmen, the direct care worker, responds, you need a deep conditioner. You have what my mom would call 
bad hair. What's happening in this scenario? Please check the one you feel best describes the situation. Let's look at the responses. Hmm. So I see that D, Carmen isn't really thinking about what she is saying, her mind is elsewhere, was a popular choice. So this is Renee. And this is Renee. It looks like the top choice actually is A, that she's unconsciously being okay. insensitive to her client's feelings. And then down at the very bottom, Carmen's unaware that she's expressing a racial stereotype and bias. Those seem to be the the highest percentages. Maybe you can comment on that. Yes. Thank you, Renee. So a little bit about this backstory, and this, by the way, is, is, is a real true scenario. Two women of different cultures with similar hair texture, different cultural responses to managing their hair, an assumption that all people with thick, coarse, curly hair understand that the term bad hair is intended as an endearing and playful way to say curly hair requires extra care. This difference led to misunderstanding and confusion. As I just mentioned a few seconds ago, this is a real scenario, and the client filed a grievance stating the following. I don't want Carmen to take care of me anymore. She was rude, disrespectful, and discriminated against me. The worker stated, I didn't mean to offend her. I have thick curly hair too. In my family, we call it bad hair. It's a playful way of saying it's gonna require extra care. I hope she gives me an opportunity to explain. Carmen's desire to resolve the confusion led her to what I describe as the learning path to cultural competency. Next slide. Let's look at the second scenario. Jessica, a home care worker, is going to meet a new client, Mrs. Singh. Mrs. Singh for the first time. When Jessica comes to Mrs. Singh's home, she opens the door. She introduces herself and she smiles. She steps in. Suddenly, Mrs. Singh starts yelling, you are so rude, get out. 
What's happening in this scenario? Please check the one you feel best describes the situation. So again, this is Renee. It looks like we have a few um, we have a few choices. Is she being insensitive to her client's home environment? Is she not really thinking about what she's doing because her mind is elsewhere? Is she unaware that Miss Singh's religion prohibits wearing shoes in the house? Um, is she just being friendly when doing her job? Or is she unaware that uh, entering the client's home without permission is disrespectful? So if people can make their choice, and then um, we'll go to see what the results were. The next slide. Okay, why don't we look at the results and then we'll turn back to Mario Elena to tell us what was really going on here. Okay, I'm not seeing the results. I'm not sure if we can get those up. Renee, it looks like on our end I can see that about two-thirds of folks thought that Jessica's unaware of entering a client's home without permission is disrespectful, mm -hmm. and that or that Jessica was unaware that Ms. Singh's religion prohibits wearing shoes in the house. Those look like to be the most common responses. Now, if I can turn it back to you, Marielena, to comment a little bit about that and about the scenario. Yes, and those two responses are on point. And to share a little bit more about this backstory is that it is against Mrs. Singh's religion to wear shoes in her house. She has told the agency that all aides must take off their shoes before entering the house, that they should bring slippers or shoes that have never been worn outside and to leave them in Mrs. Singh's house. So um, this is, you know, this is such a, it's a small scenario, but it's so important, right, because here is someone who's very well-intentioned and, and maybe had some assumptions about when you go to someone's home, you smile, you say hello, and you just walk in. And what this points to is that home care workers uh, should be aware that acting on any assumptions they may have about clients can result in a negative consequence. This is usually, um, this usually a deeper story than what is revealed in the care plans and even in the first visit. So we definitely encourage in our trainings that it's important as a first step to become aware of, of your assumptions and for the second step to explore the assumptions by asking the client questions or to explore a little bit about their story, his or her story. Thank you for participating in those two scenarios. Next slide.
when I started to talk about the two, when I explained or offered the two scenarios for us to do a little practice, I mentioned learning path to cultural competence. The learning path to cultural competence begins with awareness. Having an awareness of your client's unique personal needs, including general, general knowledge about their culture, is an important tool and first step in providing individualized, person-centered care. Once you become aware, it leads down to the path of responsiveness. Showing respect will help you gain understanding resolve misunderstandings, and more effectively manage challenging or confusing situations. Carmen demonstrated respect by asking to meet with the client and to try to resolve the misunderstanding that resulted in her feelings. The client met with Carmen and agreed to reestablish a working relationship. And competency Confidence begins when you realize that differences can show up in any area of caregiving, such as verbal and nonverbal communication, health-related beliefs, food choices, housekeeping preferences, family relations, and systems. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.